0: we are at the most important story in the Old Testament. We are at the one story where the entire nation of Israel was defined by this this event. It was was the defining moment that set the course for a whole people. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, it is the number one recorded memory. They come back to it over and over and over again. The parting of the Red Sea. And, And in this one story we get what I believe to be one of the most substantial truths in the entire Bible. And I'm going to give you that truth in a moment. I would love for you to record it. You can write it down. You can take a picture of it's coming in a moment. Don't put it up quite yet, though. But I want, you to, I want you to know a little bit about this truth before you record it, before you write it down. Here's what it is. It's a truth that if you are going through a really hard moment will bring you comfort. But if life's going pretty well for you, it might unsettle you a bit. If you are right now in a season where things are going smoothly, uh, what I'm about to teach you may feel may, may make you feel a little bit unsure and uncertain about your future. But it's a truth that sooner or later you're going to have to discover. And so I might as well give it to you now. Here's what it is. Our worst moments can be the best soil to see God's greatest miracles. Go ahead and and, and write that down. Get that in your mind. The whole sermon today is going to be based on unpacking this one truth. Our worst moments can be the absolute best soil to see God's greatest miracles. Now, let me tell you why that's unsettling. God's miracles seem to grow best in the soil of hardship, which means that right now, if you're going through smooth sailing, but you want to see the miracles of God, it's not going to stay smooth. Now, if you've been living long enough, you already know this. When you get into that moment when things are going well, you always know it's not going to last. You're just waiting for the bottom to fall out. And sure enough, every single time it does. Hard times come. Some of you are here this morning or you're watching online. The reason you can't be here is because you're going through a hard time. When you have that kind of moment in your life and you feel like there's no purpose and you're frustrated and you're afraid and you're angry, I hope this gives you some hope. You're actually planted in the best soil to see God's greatest miracles. You just got to understand how God works so that you can keep the faith. And we're going to learn that this, today, this morning, through the greatest story in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus chapter 14. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus 14. And we're going to walk through the story one last time. This morning, we're finishing up our first part of our journey to the book of Exodus. We're going to move on to some other things. We'll come back to Exodus over the few years and the next few years and finish up the book. But we started this sermon series, for those of you who've been tracking all the way back on the first Sunday of June, we started in Exodus chapter one, verse one, and we have been painstakingly slowly moving our way through the book of Exodus, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, learning about these incredible truths from this book. And we've been building up to this moment. So just in case you're watching for the first time, or, or maybe you don't know the history, uh, there was a great nation called Israel, but they were a bunch of slaves in the land of Egypt. And God raised up Moses to liberate them. Moses goes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no way, I'm going to let you go. God sends 10 plagues. Pharaoh finally says, uncle, kicks him out. And they leave, and as they're leaving, they want to go to the promised land. And that means to go north by the Via Maris, the way of the sea. But God says, actually, I want you to go south. And today we discover why he sends them south instead of north. And honestly, it's not real pleasant. Okay, we're going to be Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Read just just the first four verses with me. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Bel-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Okay, there's some weird city names here. pi Haharoth and... Baal, Zephon, you don't, you don't have any clue what it is, but basically this is just saying they went south. They, they, they wanted to go north, but they went south, and going south got them pinned in against the Red Sea. Now, let me tell you why this matters. In getting pinned in, they actually arrive at the worst moment in their nation's history. They, they arrive over there because instead of doing what they wanted, they do what God wanted. Now, they don't know what God is telling Moses. This is just something God is telling Moses. He's saying to to Moses, I want you to go south because I'm going to use you as bait. I'm going to pin you against the Red Sea. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to force him to come after you because I want to do something to show Pharaoh who I really am. And I'm going to dangle you in front of Pharaoh. I'm using you as bait. He was telling him going south is going to lead you to the most critical season of your life. Just trust me. And Moses, uh, uh, incredible man of faith, this is one of the definitive moments, he says, okay, I'll go south. Knowing it's going to be a trap, he leads the people south. And it did not take long for the, the trap to be set and for the nation of, of Egypt to come after them. Keep on reading, verses five through nine. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? That we have let Israel go from Serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi Haroth in front of Bel Zephon. So here's what happens. Pharaoh's been in this days because he's just lost his firstborn son. All of Egypt has had somebody die in their household. They're overwhelmed. They kind of mindlessly send it, the Israelites out. And all of a sudden, when he sees him leaving, he snaps to his senses and going, what have I done? I've just, I've just lost my, my whole workforce, my whole slave population. And so he says, this, this can't be. And he goes running after them. Now, in verse 7, it says something interesting. It says that he sent the 600 chosen chariots of Egypt. Now, here's what you've got to understand. Egypt is the premier military of the entire world at this moment. They are the dominant world power. No one has a military like Egypt. And the chosen chariots is another way of saying the elite of the elite. These are the navy seals of the Egyptian army. 600 of them that just, just the 600 could have taken down this whole slave population. But he intentionally uses those words to show that Pharaoh is sending the best of his best to come after him. But it's not just these 600 chosen chariots. If you look at verse 9, it says that he sends all his chariots, all his horsemen, all his officers, all his army. If you're playing football, this is the full blitz. He's sending, he's sending Parsons and Lawrence and Van Der Esch and Diggs. He's sending everybody after the QB. This is a full-blown blitz right now. Pharaoh's saying, enough, I'm coming after you with all I got. Now, I just, I just want you for a moment to do something with me. This is one of our greatest mistakes when we read the Bible. We read it devoid of how they must have felt as it was going on. I want you right now to put on a hat as if you are you are one of the Israelites. And you look this way and you see a big old sea, and you look this way, and you see Micah Parsons, you see Lawrence, you see Van Der Esch, you see Diggs coming after you right now, running hard after you. Like you see the best of the best of the Egyptian army coming towards you, big old cloud, because they got all their chariots and all their army and military, and they're coming right after you. How do you think you're feeling in that moment? I think it really will serve us to put ourselves into their seat for a moment to understand why they respond the way they respond. Just just ask yourself, what in the world's going through their mind in this moment? Here's what I love about the scriptures. You don't have to wonder what's going through their mind. Actually, verses 10 through 12 tells us exactly what's going through their mind. Look at what it says, verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So this is what they're thinking. What have you done to us, Moses? Holy cow, we were better off as slaves in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. Which I think is pretty, pretty ironic to me in this moment there's a side where you want to get the the Israelites and slap them in the face a little bit and go, are you serious? Like the only two conclusions you could come up to is slavery in Egypt or death in the wilderness. Like you, you couldn't possibly have come up with the idea that maybe God would do a miracle. I mean, just look at what you've just seen guys. You've just seen 10 supernatural plagues where God has shown his power over every God in Egypt. And you can't think that God might do a miracle. You have just plundered the Egyptians by going to their doors and going, hey, can we have your gold and silver and clothing? They go, sure, here, take it. They plunder the Egyptians, even though they have no military power, and they can't conceive that God might do a miracle. They are being led by a massive pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, this supernatural presence of Almighty God, and they can't conceive of the fact that maybe, just maybe, God might do a miracle. Doesn't even cross their minds. All they can say is, Death in the wilderness or slavery in Egypt. Those are our only two options. Now, listen, it is so easy for us to grab our little stone and get ready to throw it at these Israelites for their lack of faith. But the only reason we feel that way is because we've already read the story. And we, we know what's coming next. They didn't know what was coming next. They had no clue about a parting of a Red Sea and any kind of hope. All they saw was the sea on one side, the Egyptian army on the other, and they were toast. That's all they could see. Let me go ahead and tell you about human nature. When you are in a hard place, your mind automatically goes to worst case scenarios every single time. It is a natural bent of a human being. Just ask yourself the last time you've had a crisis, where does your mind go? Automatically goes, well, this is going to break down. This is going to happen. This is going to be destroyed. Every single time you'll go to the worst case scenario. And let me tell you what that does. It produces anxiety inside of you. You begin to dwell on all the bad, and it produces fear in you. Resentment toward God and toward everyone else. Bitterness about what's taking place. It causes you to abandon your faith to go, I don't even know if this God is worth serving, and this kind of stuff's going to happen to me. You see, what makes it so hard for them is that they got into this situation not because of their disobedience, but precisely because of their obedience. Think about it. They wanted to go north To go by the Via Maris, the way of the sea, because they were supposed to go to the promised land. It was God who led them south, and it was down south where the trouble came. Let me tell you what this teaches us. There are a lot of times you're going to experience your hardest moments, and it's not going to be because of your sin. It's going to be because of your obedience. And that's when it starts to feel really unfair. I mean, you can get it, God punishing you, you do something wrong, you, you give into sin, you make a mistake, something like that. You can get God punishing you for that. And oftentimes when you're going through hardship, you'll start asking the question, what have I done wrong? Is this my fault? Where's my sin? When actually it may be your obedience that led you into that situation. And I promise you, it feels terribly unfair when your crisis comes because of your obedience. I remember a year and a half ago, I was actually standing in uh, the building across the parking lot, over the annex and our admin building over there. And it was just uh, a little bit after the brunt of Snowmageddon in 2021. I don't know if you remember that. If those of you who were living here, if, you, if you're watching from somewhere else, Texas doesn't get hard freeze. So we got a hard freeze in February 2021. It lasted for days. Most of us were hunkered down in our house. Many of us losing power, just praying that we could make it through. Didn't know when it was going to end. Now, let me tell you about Texas. Texas has a lot of great things going for it, But one of the things it does not have is preparation for hard freezes. And so in our admin building, the pipes were up in the attic and they were insulated, but they weren't insulated for three or four days of a hard freeze. And we knew that there was a lot of people losing power. What we didn't know was how the pipes were expanding because of the ice inside of it and bursting all these holes. And we didn't know it until it started to warm up. But we had survived the the bulk of the brunt of the freeze, and now things are starting to warm up. And I get a phone call, come to the admin building right now because there's water leaking in from the roof. And so it's my great chance to get my Jeep Wrangler off road into the ice and get over here. It's kind of fun drive over until I walked into the office. And by the time I got there, I opened up and looked at one of the offices, and water was cascading like a waterfall into the office ruining books and furniture. And then I got somebody else who had met me up there said, no, come over here to this office. I go to another office, Water is pouring in like a waterfall to that one. I go to another office and we had this thing It was called a pit where you had some conference rooms that was about two or three feet lower. It was like a swimming pool, several feet deep of water. And I'm sitting here watching this destruction going, God, what in the world are you doing? Here's what's so hard for me. I'm, we're in that office complex shoved in like sardines because our staff has grown so much, but we're too cheap to pay for a new office because we want to be radically generous. We don't want to waste money on an office complex. We, we want to give away to, to, to send out missionaries and church planners and help people in need. We want to be radically generous. So we're being obedient by shoving into this office, and here I am watching it utterly destroyed, going, God, hello, where are you? Now, on top of that, if you, if you were a leader of any size, like business or organization, then you understand the difficulty of leading during the pandemic. We were less than a year into the pandemic and it was so hard to keep unity among the team and the staff just because we were splintered, Every time somebody would get sick, it'd be like two weeks, they're in isolation and didn't see anybody. The team is working, some from home, some from work. We're trying to keep unity. There's a thing called the great resignation taking place where people are like, Now might be a good time for a career shift. So people are shifting all over the place. And I'm going, I've got to try to keep unity of the staff. The one thing we got going for us is we have a place where we can come work together. And then I'm standing there watching it destroyed. And I'm going, God, it's over. In my mind, I'm going to go ahead and divulge to you my insecurities. My mind goes to the worst possible place immediately. I'm going, this is the end right now. I know what's going to happen. We're not going to have any place to office. We had no clue where to go. We didn't have money to pay for rent somewhere else. Our budget is spent as it is. We have everything allocated. We don't have extra money hanging around to pay for rent. So now we're going to have to work off site. They're going to get isolated. Staff are going to start leaving. And then the church is going to suffer from the staff not being there. People are going to start leaving the church. And within about a year, the door is going to close. It's all going to go down. I'm going to be the pastor that killed Fielder Church. All that happened while I'm staring at the water coming down over there. Worst fears about to be realized right here. I just killed the church. And I'm looking at it going, God, it's your fault. Because you just ruined the one thing we had going for us. I, I got to be honest with you, in that moment, and I kid you not, I was terrified. I was overwhelmed. I was a bit bitter and resentful. We've been so faithful all these years, God. Why would you allow this to happen? I've been trying to lead so well during this pandemic. I've been working hard to keep unity. God, why would you do this? When you're going through a hard moment, it can be so easy to get resentful. It can be so easy to lose faith in what God is doing. But here's what I want you to know. God can do some of his greatest work in those hardest moments if you learn how to respond. Moses sees the Israelites and he knows where they are. They're afraid, they're bitter, they're resentful, they're frustrated, they don't know what's going to happen, they're losing faith. And Moses speaks two verses that are some of the most important truths in the entire Bible. And they tell you what to do when you get to that hard moment. I want to read them for you, verses 13 and 14. I want you to see how you respond when you get to that hard moment. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Let me go ahead and tell you, if you want to memorize a couple of verses in the Bible, those are two verses you should probably memorize. Every time you get to a hardship, he tells you what to do. Don't freak out. Fear not. Stand firm and watch what your God can do. The Lord will fight for you. You just got to be silent. Praise God. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I love about every once in a while coming in and digging into the passage and looking at the original language. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and, and it softens what Moses says a little bit. I, I guess it's trying to be a little politically correct or whatever. When it says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. The Hebrew is actually much more emphatic. So if I were giving you a, a, a more intentional translation of that, it would, it would be, the Lord will fight for you. You just got to shut your pie hole. That's, that's really what he's saying. When it says be silent, it's, it's shut your pie hole. Stop talking, stop arguing, stop complaining, shut your pie hole and let God do what God can do. It's time for God to get to move. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, that sounds real glamorous when you're talking about the Israelites. It don't sound so glamorous when you're talking about your situation. Because the last thing you want to do when life is falling apart is just sit there and wait. I'm sure you've heard about fight or flight before, like the natural condition, it's animalistic behavior. When something dangerous comes, a hard situation, you naturally want to either run from it or fight it. So you run away from your problem or you try to solve your problem on your own, fight or flight. And God is saying, I don't want you to do either one of them. When you're in a hard situation, I don't want you to try to fight it, Think that you can take it down. I also don't want you to be afraid and try to handle on your own. I want you to watch me do what only I can do. Put it in my hands. Let me fight for you. Because when I fight, I always win. And verses 15 through 31 shows you what happens when almighty God fights for us. So the best story in the Old Testament, I want to read it for you. Listen to what happens. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. (laughs) There's a reason why this is the best story in the old Testament, because God shows who God really is. It's the full blitz coming after God. God is a QB. He's standing back over there and Pharaoh's bringing everything he's got. And God's all calm. He goes, no, I got it. Throws a 70 yard TD pass and shows Pharaoh ain't got nothing against him. He showed his power The best part about the story is up to this moment, Pharaoh has not used all of his best. He's been trying over the 10 plagues. He would do a little bit here and there, kind of massaging it, but you don't really see the showdown until this moment. The best that Pharaoh has to offer, and God just flexes his little pinky finger, and down goes Pharaoh and all his army. The most definitive win other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ happens right here, and you get to see who your God really is. And when you see who God really is, there's only one way to respond. Verse 31, I want you to look back at that verse. See how they respond when they see the victory of their God. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. All this time they've been complaining and bickering and faithless, and then they see the great power of Almighty God. And for the first time, they really believe. It says they feared the Lord. That means they revered him, they respected him. They finally came under his authority. But here's what I want you to see. The reason they saw the great power of Almighty God was because they were pinned against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. They never would have seen the impossible power of God if they had not been in the impossible situation. It took the worst moment to see the greatest miracle. This is why God does what he does. There are some of you who are here right now and you have been feeling angst and frustration and fear and resentment towards God going, why have you let me go through this? It feels like God is cruel and mean and out to get you. But let me tell you, he's not. He just knows that his greatest miracles grow in the soil of hardship. And he's poising you to be the kind of soil that can grow the miracles of God if you'll just trust him. I remember standing there looking out over the office complex going god what are you what are you doing why would you do this if i could have fast forwarded a year and a half everything would have made sense to me i would have known god was about to show me some incredible miracles over a year and a half but in the moment i couldn't see it i didn't know what he was up to i was just afraid I was afraid, what's going to happen to our staff? and our, We don't have any place to go. What, what, what are we going to do? We're all going to have to work from home. I, I had no idea in the moment that God had already taken care of everything two and a half years before that. We were heading down to the south side of our city to start another campus. And God, by his... There's a whole other miracle story of how God called us to merge together with South Oaks Baptist Church to become our South Oaks campus. I had no idea that that activities building that they have on that campus was gonna end up being a perfect place for us to move our staff into, to have temporary lodgings. We didn't have to pay a cent and we had a place where we could go. God had already taken care of everything. And and I didn't know that God had better plans for our staff. I I was thinking that I needed to have a place for us to have unity. This is where, this is the only reason we're holding on because we could be together as a team. I had no idea that God's glue for our staff wasn't a building, it was prayer. That God was gonna take us on a journey of learning how to bow down before him and pray together. And I have never seen our staff more unified than it is right now. And what unifies our staff is prayer and the power of God when we pray. I had no idea we would be seeing a revival right now in our church where in less than seven months we would see 241 people baptized. I promise you right now in our church, our morale is at an all time high because we're seeing a move of Almighty God that has nothing to do with a building. It's everything to do with his spirit. I didn't know God was going to do these miracles. I was so afraid, and God said, I'm just trying to show you what I can do. If you just let me. And then this past Wednesday, it all came into clarity for me. We were on our faces right across the street in our brand new office complex. And we were on the floor praying. And Mary Ware, a member of the church, was there. She was praying, and she just she prayed the most beautiful prayer she said, God, thank you for the ice. And it hit me in that moment. That ice storm a year and a half ago was God's means of giving us a miracle. We, we never would have given ourselves a new staff. We weren't going to spend the money. We're going to keep shoving people in their every nook and cranny. of. We're going to have to start doing like the whole double-decker desk thing, you know, one's on top of the other because we didn't have any more room. We were going to do whatever it took. We weren't going to spend money. And God says, okay, I'm going to boot you out. I'm going to bring in some insurance money. I'm going to bring in some people to build for the first time in the 67 year history of our church. We have an office complex that's designed to be an office complex. It's wild. The things that can actually happen when we have this space. I, I'm, I'm so excited. In about a month, Jared, we'll, we'll see how long it takes us to get there. When we finally get like pictures on the walls and our boxes unpacked and stuff like that, we're going to have an open house. So one Sunday after church, you can come see the new office complex. But it is a gift of almighty God. And God knew that this was ready for us. He just had to leave us to that moment where I'm watching the water cascade in this old building and say, okay, this really stinks. But God, I know that your greatest miracles grow in the soil of hardship. So show us what you got coming. Listen, I I confess to you, I didn't have that faith in the moment. But God is gracious. Even when we struggle with faith, if we'll just turn back to him again and again and again, he'll open up our eyes to say, just trust me just be still, don't try to solve it, don't try to make everything, just be still, keep praying, watch what I can do. And then on the other side of it, you see all the miracles of Almighty God. God wants to show you his miracles. And the hard moment you're going through right now is not devoid of purpose. He's not being mean. He's not taking his hand off of you. He's trying to position you to be the a place where you can see the miracles of Almighty God to a moment where you will pray to, oh God, thank you for that crisis because now I see what you were doing but it requires faith. In that first statement I gave you, there was a very important couple of words. I said, our worst moments can be the best soil to see God's greatest miracles. Let me tell you what that means. It is not a guarantee that if you go through a hard moment, you're gonna see the miracles of God. You can go through a hard moment and experience fear and anxiety and bitterness and frustration and miss all the work that God wants to do in you because you turn faithless in that. It is no guarantee you're gonna see the miracles of God. It can be, but it requires faith and you positioning yourself to give it back to the Lord, whatever that situation is. That's why I wanna give you a chance to respond right now. Listen, in in this room, I know there are some of you and you are feeling the burden and the crush of that position that you're in, that hardship, that moment, that thing that has you overwhelmed, feels like you're drowning right now, that, that thing going on and you are getting afraid, you are getting bitter, your faith is getting shaky, and what God is trying to tell you right now is it's the moment for you to fear not, to stand firm, and to give it to me so I can fight for you. I wanna give you a chance to do that. Those three things that Moses gave us in verses 13 and 14, first one, fear not. There are some of you right now who are very afraid, and it's time for you to pour faith into that situation And say, God, I'm going to trust you right now. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to let this plague me. Fear not. Then he says, stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't run in fear. But don't try to run into it and solve it yourself either. He says, let the Lord fight for you. You just got to be still. You got to be silent. You got to stop trying to solve it. Right now, I believe there are some of you who are struggling immensely because you're trying to solve all your problems you're trying to fix it and you're just creating more and more hardship for yourself. The number one way to let the Lord fight for you is to take your knee before him in prayer. And in a moment, we're going to have pastors who are down front and they're going to be ready to receive you and to pray over you. And that's going to be a definitive act of faith of you going, I'm letting the Lord fight this battle. I'm not going to try to make this happen. I'm going to put this in the hands of Almighty God. We're going to be here to bless you, to serve you, to pray for you, to allow us together to put this before Almighty God and let him fight. It's going to require faith enough for you to come and say, pray for me. I hope you get yourself ready. But before I do, there's one last thing I need to say. And and here's here's what, the band's going to come out in a moment and you're going to start to start like getting yourself ready to go. You're going to pack up your Bible. You're going to put things away and you're going to start tuning me out. Don't don't do that because you're going to miss the most important thing I have to say right now. I got got one more thing to teach you. I want to show you that the whole story of Exodus, the whole event, the most important story of the Old Testament is simply a foreshadowing of the most important story of the New Testament. You got to understand the implications of the Exodus. It is pointing to something greater. But think about how the Exodus works. Israel is liberated through someone else being judged. And the waters that come over the Egyptians, those waters are the waters of judgment. They are being judged for the rejection of the true God. They've seen his power over the 10 plagues. They know he's the true God and they still reject him and they're being judged. In fact, if you look over the Old Testament over and over, you see that water oftentimes is a symbol of God's judgment. But Israel is actually liberated because someone else is judged by the waters. All this is pointing to somebody else who is going to be judged by the waters. And that somebody else is Jesus Christ. And the waters aren't going to be the Red Sea. The waters are going to be the sins and the filth of humanity poured over his shoulders on the cross. There's a moment when Jesus on the cross, if you know the story, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? He's declaring that because in that moment, he is drowning under the sin and shame of humanity as it's all poured upon him bucket upon bucket. He's drowning under the weight of all these sins. He's receiving the judgment that we deserve for all that we've done. In that moment, he breathes his life and he gives us his spirit. He is now the Egyptian army at the bottom of the sea. He has been drowned under the judgment of Almighty God. But then a change happens in the story. In Exodus, those Egyptians, they wash upon the shore dead. But in the New Testament, we see how much better Jesus is. Because three days later, he didn't wash up dead. He rises up from the dead. And he shows his power over death, power over the waters of judgment. And in that moment, the father says, I approve of your sacrifice. Anyone who believes in you will have salvation too. It is the gospel message that the story of Exodus is pointing to. But when you understand these implications, you also understand the nature of passing through the waters. Hey, here's what I want you to think about for a moment. The nation of Israel found their salvation by passing through the waters. They enter in on the western shore as slaves, scared to death because of the Egyptian army. And they leave the eastern shore as free people. And they got there through the passing of the waters. I want you to think about the faith it took for them to walk through those waters. There's some people who try to explain away the story of the Exodus and as a wind that came and it just kind of dried it up and the water was real far away and they just, maybe it was kind of marshy water, it was only a few feet or a few inches deep, and so it's just dry. That's not what the story says. The story says there was a wall of water on the right side and a wall of water on the left side. If you've seen Prince of Egypt, there's that one moment where there's like a flash of light. There's a big old well in the water. I don't know if it looked like that or not. But I do know there was these walls of water on both sides, which means they're walking through this, seeing water, knowing that if God released that water, they were done. It took faith to pass through the waters. But when they left on the other side of those waters for the first time, they were free. They were saved because they passed through the waters. Here's why that matters. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul talks about what took place, and he refers to that passing through the waters of a baptism of Moses and is foreshadowing what you and I one day must do to declare our freedom in Christ. We too have to pass through the waters. But we're not baptized into Moses. We're baptized into Christ Jesus. We pass through the waters and it takes incredible faith to choose baptism. Incredible faith to pass through the waters. But when we go into the waters, we go under the water as a sign of our deserved judgment. We are broken, we are frail, we deserve to be under the waters of judgment. But then we come right up out of those waters. And in that moment, we are identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like he conquered the waters of judgment. We get to conquer with him. We are no longer held slaves. We have passed through the waters and we come up free because by faith we pass through the waters. I believe there could be some of you who are here and today's the day you need to pass through the waters. Today's the day where you say, I'm, I'm ready. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of living in this brokenness. I'm tired of feeling faithless and overwhelmed and wondering why God is letting all this happen maybe today God has shown you. I've been trying to position you. I've been using all that hardship to finally position you to see the greatest miracle of all. Let me tell you the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is your salvation. And when we pray, there are some great miracles. We see people healed. We've seen people healed of cancer. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen people healed in profound ways of anxiety and depression and headaches and things like that. We've seen miracles of God. But the absolute greatest miracle we've seen He's somebody who was spiritually dead who came to life. Somebody who was destined for hell gets sent over to eternity in heaven. And that miracle comes when somebody says, I'm ready to trust in you, God. I'm not gonna be afraid any longer. I'm ready to pass through the waters. I'm gonna let you take my worst moment and let it be the soil to see my greatest miracle. But it's gonna require faith. Here's what I love about the story of Israel. That story defined them as a nation. When they passed through the waters. But you do realize up to that moment they were a crummy nation, complaining, faithless, angry. If we could just go back and be slaves, now we're gonna die in the wood, grumbly. But they had one moment when they were afraid and they still obeyed and walked through the waters. And it didn't matter how many times they'd screwed up in the past, they were now defined by their faith and they received salvation. I believe there are some of you who are here and today is a day that can define you. Doesn't matter how much you've screwed up in the past, how afraid you've been, how much you've complained, how much you've failed, how many sins you've committed. All it takes is one act of faith, passing through the waters and all that can be washed away and you can be defined by something brand new by Christ Jesus. Today can be the day that defines you. If you just say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you and pass through the waters. And so if you need to do that, we're ready for you. We have people, pastors down front that will counsel with you. We got a Jesus in my place t-shirt that we'll put on you. And before we leave today, you'll have a chance to be baptized this morning if you need to take that step of faith. But it requires faith. There's no power in that, that Arlington tap water that's in that baptistry. It hadn't been sprinkled with any kind of holy water. There's no fairy dust we put on it. It's just water. But there's power when by faith you pass through it to say, I want to be free. I want Christ. And if you need that today, today's the day to have it. I want you to stand up, if you will. I'm going to ask the prayer team and the pastors to make their way around. And here's what I want to remind you to do. If today you're saying, I'm ready to trust in Christ Jesus. I'm ready to pass through the waters. I'm ready to find victory in Christ. Today's my day for my story to change, for me to define by my faith in this moment. You come let one of us know and we'll get you ready. But Let me also remind you, if you're going through a hard moment, you've been trying to fight it, you're overwhelmed and you're afraid. Don't try to fight it yourself. Don't run from it. Take it and put it at the hands of the Lord. That's prayer and we're ready to pray for you. So whatever you need, you do today. I'm inviting you to respond. Respond as the Lord prompts you.